Good evening again. Good to see you. I got to say hi to most folks coming in the door. Yeah, there we go. Get rid of my echo. All right, well, it's good to see you tonight. What a good morning. Uh, lots of folks here. Now, I knew we were going to have a lot out of town this week and still had a, had a real good group this morning. Uh, pretty much uh, both sections, a bit in the overflow, so it, it was great. So thanks for coming back tonight. Uh, appreciate it. So let's take our Bibles, go to the book of Joel. Let me kind of fill you in where we're going to be going. So uh, I'm going to do two more messages in the book of Joel and then we'll be done. But as uh, I've stated uh, to you folks, I'm going to be in September. Uh, I have two I, prophecy conferences that I'm preaching at, so I'll be gone for two weeks in September. And uh, I don't think I've been gone a week since uh, we started, so uh, I promised in uh, the deacons, which I've already said, uh, uh, when I was accepted as pastor here, I'm like, well, I still got a couple of prophecy conferences that I've been invited to, and I promised I'd be there, so uh, if it's all right with you guys, I need to go. And they're like, get out of here, go. So I'm like, okay, all good. And uh, <laughs> But uh, the, the good news is, and of course those watching on live stream tonight, I know there's some tuning in. While I'm gone, uh, Steve Brown, who's a seasoned preacher, will be filling in on the Sunday mornings. Then uh, one of our Newer guys, uh, Richard Truchon will be speaking on uh, one of the Sunday nights, and then Justin uh, will be speaking on one of the other Sunday nights, so uh, we'll be hearing from three different people, but uh, uh, I know we're in good hands. I've, I've heard Steve before, a great preacher, and uh, I know will be good. Uh, Justin's got a heart for souls. Uh, Richard, he definitely has a, a, a heart for the Word of God and to teach it, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, I'm telling you guys, I'm going to be watching you somehow, so I'm going to check up on you. No, <laughs> it'll all be good. So anyway, you're in good hands. Uh, the couple of weeks that I'll, I'll be away, I'll be in, let's see, where am I going? I'm going to Georgia for one conference and then Maple Grove, Minnesota uh, for the other one. So a couple of weeks we'll be on the road. All right, let's go to the book of Joel. Uh, we, we're going to, again, uh, I'll be starting a new series in October. So now, folks, you're, if you come to Sunday night, I'm going to call you the Super Core Group. And uh, here's what's going to be taking place. So as we're well aware, things have been going extremely well Sunday mornings. Uh, the growth rate has been, I'll say it's been exceptionally good. I'm very pleased with what God's doing here. And, but we want to keep it moving. So in October, we're going to put out a mass mailing just into the Union Grove area. I think we've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, we'll do that the week, although I'm going to be gone one other week in October at another conference I'm speaking at, uh, and that'll be it. That'll be the only three weeks I'll be gone. So the week I'm gone in October is when the mailing's going to go out. And what we're going to be pushing for is to get visitors from uh, the Union Grove area. So uh, that's probably going to yield more folks that don't know Christ than do. At least that's, of course, uh, part of the goal is to get folks in here that don't know uh, Christ and will uh, be cognizant of that in the series and what we're teaching. So start praying for that. Um, you're like, well, what happens? It's like we're getting kind of jammed here on Sunday mornings. Folks, we got places we haven't put people yet, so we'll be good. Uh, well, we got lots of room yet, so I'm not the least bit worried about it. We could get at least another... 50 to 100 folks in here than we're doing right now. Uh, and you're like, well, what happens after we exceed that? I'll tell you when it happens, okay? Now it's all going to be good. Uh, so just keep going, keep working hard. God bless you for bringing in visitors and uh, the kindness that you've been showing them has been off the charts good. I'll just say this and then I'll get into the message. Uh, Josh was, where's Josh? Where are you at? What are you doing over there? You're supposed to be right here. No, that's, <laughs> I want you to sit with your family. Um, he was saying when he came in, the, uh, uh, the stop, stop, why am I stuttering? I don't stutter. Anyway, I guess I do. Bottom line is Josh came in, he said, hey man, he says, uh, uh, I was watching a new family. I had no idea who they were. And the new family was showing the newer family around the building this morning. And he said, I didn't know who either of them were. I'm like, amen, that's fantastic. So uh, the new folks are showing the newer folks about the new folks and it's, it's good. So I'm excited about that, I hope you are too. You say, why, why, do you, why do we get excited about that? Folks, two things. Number one is when we talk about things like we did this morning, 
Folks, I don't know how much time we got left down here. You know, the rapture could happen at any moment. Jesus could come take us out of here. And there's a whole bunch of folks that don't know Christ. And when we see new folks coming in and they're excited about serving the Lord, and uh, like we've just been seeing here, and they're reaching out, it's like that's very, very encouraging. It's like God's people are, are getting on fire for the Lord. They're bringing folks in. We're seeing some folks come to Christ. We're seeing folks that have been out looking for a church. Many of those type of folks have been coming as well. So it's just good and that's exciting. So it's all about the gospel. It's all about helping folks grow in their walk with the Lord Jesus. And it's just a good thing. So thank you for what you're doing. All right, enough. Let's go to the book of Joel. And Joel, of course, being we've been preaching through the entire book. And we're into the prophetic content now very heavily. So we're going to look at, let's go to Joel chapter 3 and verse 13. I'm going to read the verses. All prophetic. None of this has happened yet. And we're going to take a look. We started uh, a, a week ago, or the last time Sunday, uh, when we were in the book of Joel. And we're now looking at that time called Armageddon. And we're going to look at that specifically tonight, kind of part two of Armageddon. I'm going to take you to all the major passages that deal with the battle of Armageddon. So let's go to it and ask the Lord to help us here. Uh, Joel chapter 3, and let's do verse 13 to 17. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy and no alien shall ever pass through her Again, now, Father, I pray that as we examine and study this very, very important passage tonight, that you'd excite us about what is going to happen in the prophetic future. Lord, we're seeing things happen today, right in this world, that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And Lord, as we uh, examine this passage, which is so pointed, so pure, showing about specific events that will take place when you return at your second coming. So Lord, speak to our hearts, instruct us, encourage us, and we ask that you'd revive the saved and saved any lost here tonight or watching on internet in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we like to say here at uh, Union Grove Baptist Church, we like to peel God's prophetic passages uh, or pro prophetic word one passage at a time. So we're going to go through this tonight, and I'll, I'll be expanding into multiple different books of the Bible. You see, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, all 66 books, every single book has to be on the exact same page, saying the exact same thing. And God is basically, when it comes to this concept of the battle of Armageddon, has it in multiple books in multiple places, and we're going to be taking a look at some of those tonight. So let me kind of pull things together for you. Another uh, kind of a brand little newer chart than, than I've used here before. So basically here's the concept. We currently live in what's known as the church age. Most of you that have been here and, and uh, all except for I think one visitor tonight you're all very much up to speed on, on our chart. Uh, so here's what we know. After the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, what we live in currently known as the church age began. Now, what is the event that's going to end that? Everybody here knows what it is, and that event is the rapture. Thank you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, when Jesus comes in the air and receives up the, uh, the dead, if you will, in Christ, and those that are alive and remain also brought up at that point getting glorified bodies, First, uh, First Chronicles chapter 15, verses 50 to 54. Bible tells us in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 
boom, just like that. Quick twinkle, our bodies will be changed and uh, we'll be given the glorified bodies to be with Christ forever. All right, shortly after that, we spoke about it this morning. What's the next major event that we know of from God's prophetic calendar? Hint, hint, Daniel 9, 27, after the rapture of the church, who makes a peace treaty with Israel? And that person is known as? Antichrist, all right? And we looked at that this morning, Daniel 9, 27. All right, and what was the importance of that? And just uh, Valerie and I were talking, and she says, you know, uh, I like the Bible part, but uh, you need to tell more about what's going on in the current events. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I'd have to expand the message quite a bit, but here in essence is kind of a, a, a let's kind of pull together what we talked about this morning from an current event standpoint. And which is why I did the message, because of uh, the treaty, alleged treaty, if you will, between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. So here's what's happening. We went through three different peace treaties that started back in 1973. So we went through the Camp David Accords. So you, I mean, you get these peace treaties. We have a major peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. Then you have a major peace treaty between Israel and the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the Arabs. I mean, that's huge. Then you have another peace treaty between Israel and Jordan, also known as the Hashemite Kingdom. So what's the, what's the significance of all that? So you've got a, and here's, folks, this is the reality. I'm telling you the, the political reality right now. Israel and Egypt, that peace treaty back from 1973, is kind of like at best teeter-tottering and not real solid. It's not good. If you watch what's going on between Israel and Jordan, which, okay, you've got Israel and right off to the east is Jordan, all right? The, uh, Jordan has been extremely upset with Israel. They have a peace treaty in place, but why are they upset with Israel? Well, folks, the deal of the century that President Trump came out with, and this is not a plus or minus on the president, this is just the reality, the political reality. The Arab world went uh, upside down, topsy-turvy, we hate that concept. I showed you uh, uh, Mahmoud Abbas's picture, who's kind of the head of, if you will, the Arab world. And I mean, they just were furious uh, about the possibility of annexing more Jewish people into what they consider their territory. Remember, the Arabs and the Palestinians do not believe the Jews belong in Israel. They believe it's their land. So the Jordanians are mad, the Egyptians are mad, the Palestinian Liberation Organization is not happy with them. Now you have the United Arab Emirates making this overture with Israel, United States gets involved, and it looks like, oh, this is great, there's gonna be peace in the Middle East. No, there's not, folks. Don't buy into that. There's no peace in the Middle East. There might be peace between the little place of the United Arab Emirates and Israel, but the Arabs as a whole, the Palestinian people, even though that's, okay, what are the Palestinians? Where do they live? Where's the land of Palestine? Look it up on the map. Can you find it? The answer is no. There is no place called Palestine. Now, what happened is back, and this, it's a long historical thing. I'm going to tell you, I, I, just to make it simple. The Arab people believe that, that Israel should be called Palestine. And you, if you call, say, to a Jewish person, and I've been to Israel many, many times, if you tell a Jewish person, well, we, I always love coming to Palestine, you know what the Jewish people are going to do? They're going to look at you like, where do you think Palestine is, sir? Where there is no Palestine, it's Israel. All right, so it gets very contentious. Um, one quick little story. So I'm... I'm, I'm in Israel, and I'm with a tour group, and I'm talking to, it actually was, how many of you know Jimmy DeYoung? Some of you do. Okay, I'm actually with his son, Jimmy DeYoung Jr., who's about my age. Jimmy uh, Sr. is about 80. Not about 80, he is 80. Just turned 80. And uh, his son's closer to my age. And we're out there talking, and we're talking about the Jewish people moving back, and here comes a quote-unquote, Palestinian walking by as we're talking, probably not as quietly as we should have been. And he stops and he looks at us and he says, you know, when that annexate, when the Jewish people came back here and they got their state in 1948, you ruined our country. 
that's the feeling of the Arabs and the Palestinians. They, they hate the Jewish people and uh, Christians don't rank any better in their eyes. So it's very contentious. All right, so all that to say this. The peace treaties that are out there are very ineffective at this point. The massive number of the Arab communities, if you will, the, I shouldn't say communities, the countries hate Israel with a passion. Turkey is worse than it's ever been. I'd been in Turkey multiple times. It used to be semi, eh, okay, you get along. It's still Muslim, but they, they weren't antagonistic. Now it's very antagonistic. When I went to Jordan a couple of years ago, crossed over the border, went through uh, customs. I only got detained for about 45 minutes and uh, not fun. So there's a strong anti-Americans, definitely strong. Oh no, the Jordanians say we're Christian. They're not Christian. Don't, don't be fooled by their uh, statement. We're, we believe, we're for Christians. No, they're not for Christians. They have nothing to do with Christians and uh, want nothing to do with them. The only reason they let me through the border is because we had a group of people that had money and they wanted the money, uh, so we got to come in. But that's, it, it's very contentious. All that to say this, there's coming a day during, after the rapture of the church, there's going to be tremendous contention during a seven-year period. If you look on that orange space, a seven-year period known as the tribulation period. Something is going to happen according to Daniel 9.27, which we discussed this morning, which makes it crystal clear that the Antichrist is going to be able to make a peace treaty for the Jewish people. It's not just going to be with the United Arab, uh, Arab Emirates. This has got to be a massive thing that takes place across the land so people back off from Israel. So I don't see, and again, this is a little sanctified speculation, I do not see any treaty in place right now that is going to have the impact that Daniel 9.27 speaks of. So I firmly believe there's speculation again, and I always like to say it's speculation. I firmly believe, though, that there's something much, much bigger that's going to happen in the Middle East, uh, potentially in the near future, that's going to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. All right, so we go through the seven-year tribulation, which we've been discussing over multiple weeks, and now we're coming to the last, if you will, couple of days uh, of that seven-year tribulation period. So what we're setting the stage for now in Joel chapter 3 is the literal second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. All right. The first coming was, of course, when Jesus Christ came back in the early AD time. Of course, actually, most scholars believe he was born, according to our calendar, about 4 BC and uh, died somewhere in the early 30s AD when he was crucified. And that gets into a whole bunch of technical stuff we're not going to get into tonight. The bottom line, though, Jesus comes at his first advent. He came to, did he come to set up a kingdom or did he come to save the world? He came to be the savior of the world, okay? Didn't come to set up his kingdom at that time. That's yet to come. So he came at his first time, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Church age begins in which we live today. Been going on for 2,000 years. Rapture of the church happens, Antichrist makes his peace treaty with whoever he's going to make it with. Don't under, uh, it actually says confirm a treaty. So there's going to be a massive treaty in place, I think much bigger than what we've seen. And uh, Antichrist basically, and they're going to, uh, if you will, accept that whatever that peace treaty is that he uh, dominates on. Then we have this horrible seven-year tribulation period, and we're coming up to the end of the seven years. So let me, if you go to the right of, your, of the screen, here's the events that are going to be taking place when Jesus Christ returns, not for the rapture, but to the earth. Here's so it is. So the second advent of Jesus Christ, which happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Rapture of the church, seven years, Jesus returns. The first major event when Jesus Christ returns is he's going to finish what's known as the Battle of Armageddon, which we're going to spend the next half an hour on. After the Battle of Armageddon, so he's going to come, we'll read about it today, at the end of that battle, he's going to do a couple of major things. And I've only put a couple of them on because this is very tight chronologically. After he comes and the Battle of Armageddon is finished, there will be survivors. 
Matthew chapter 25, I preached on that many months ago, uh, beginning of the year. We have the Jewish remnant that manages to survive the tribulation and the Gentile remnant that manages to survive the, uh, the, uh, the tribulation period will be judged at that time. We'll touch on that in one of the passages tonight. Then, after that takes place, we have what's known as the first resurrection found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 verses, where all those that, uh, if you will, the saints are resurrected, Old Testament saints are brought up, uh, uh, the tribulation saints, every, all the saints of all time will be living and reigning on this earth with Christ. But that's for another day. All right, so... Let's start out with just get some of the concepts, and then we're going to uh, dig into this. So Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Joel was written in approximately 800 B.C. So we're talking 2,800 years ago. This is still a minimum of seven years before this can be fulfilled. You say, how do you know seven years? Again, if the rapture happens while I'm preaching... The Antichrist will then come on the scene, confirm the covenant with Israel, Daniel 9.27. Then we get through the entire seven-year tribulation period, and then this is what's going to happen. So Joel's prophesying, and it says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. What kind of a harvest? Come, go down, for the wine presses full, the vats overflow, for their what? Wickedness is great. So we're not talking about a good adventure. We're talking about a horrible judgment that's going to happen at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Multitudes, multitudes. So there's going to be a lot of survivors in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near. All right, so what are we looking at? And I've done this, I, I believe I've done it here. I do it so many places, I can't remember if I did it here. But here's kind of the concept. What he's looking at is we're at the end of the, uh, Jesus Christ is coming back. What was the purpose of that horrible seven-year tribulation where the majority of the population of the earth was wiped out in judgment? Why was God judging this earth for those seven years with such unbelievable violence, if you will? Billions of people will die during that time. And we've gone through it in the book of Revelation. Specifically chapter 6 through 16. What is God doing? Why are all these people dying? Why are they being killed? Why are they being slaughtered? Because God made it very clear when he sets foot on this earth to live and reign for that 1,000 year period, Revelation 21 to 7, it's going to be clean. Nothing that is not clean enters into his kingdom on earth. Earth. So there's tremendous judgment. So what is he saying to those that managed to survive the tribulation? It's going to be, and if, uh, I should have a picture of there, but in Israel, what is a wine vat? All right, it's not like what you might imagine in modern day stuff with all the machinery and stuff. All right, so in the olden days, what was a place where you got the wine or the grape juice, so to speak? Big giant rock, hewn out with a little channel running out of it. They take all the grapes, they throw them on this giant rock, if you will, surface. And then what do they do? The people, they pull their shoes off, gross as it is, they jump in the wine bat and start smashing them out. I had some uh, person say uh, to me yesterday, I had my, sh my shoes off, and they said, man, you probably could squish a lot of grapes with those feet. <laughs> yeah, okay, they got me. I do have some pretty, pretty big feet. Anyway, but that was the thing. They get in the wine vat, and boom, 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 and what comes squirting out? The grape juice. Well, what is God saying here? He says, put in the sickle. Harvest is ripe. Come, go down to the wine press. What's he saying? And folks, this is as gross as all get out. It's not politically correct. What he's saying is the, the, the people that haven't trusted me, those that haven't given their life to me, those that have rejected me, boom, they're in the wine vat. Now, folks, just use your imagination a little bit. It's not going to be grapes in the wine vat. He's using that. What happens when you squish the grapes? The same exact thing that God is talking about is going to happen to those that have rejected him. It's not a pretty picture. And you're like, man, that's, that's not politically correct at all. No, it's not. Folks, God is not politically correct. Hate to say, hate to put it out there. 
what God says he means and it, 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 it's, it's pretty rough. Those that reject Christ, it will be just like the grapes being thrown into a giant vat and they will be, if you will, they're going to be pulverized. And we'll look at that in just a minute in even more graphic detail. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. We're talking about, here's a couple of, uh, for the note takers, here's a couple of concepts we'll be looking at. The valley of Armageddon. We'll show you where that is in Scripture tonight. Revelation 16, 16. Megiddo. We'll show you where Megiddo is, and I'll show you some pictures of it tonight. These are the, this is the place where this horrific judgment is going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. What is going to happen as Jesus descends at his second advent? We've read about this in multiple passages over the last few weeks. He's making it very clear the sun and the moon will grow dark while Jesus is descending. The stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord, speaking of Jesus Christ, will roar from Zion, which is synonymous with Jerusalem, which is synonymous with my holy mountain. So the Lord is roaring from Zion. He'll utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake so that you will know God is saying that I am the Lord your God. Folks, this is, this is an unbelievable, massive picture Everybody is going to see Jesus when he returns at his second coming. It's going to be absolutely amazing. All right, so we're going to take you to a couple other passages. And we're going to fill in some blanks and show you some pictures to make this really come alive. Zechariah chapter 14. I love Zechariah. One of the greatest prophetic books, at least from uh, uh, it's based on its contest regarding what's going to happen in the future. All right, behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Remember, the day of the Lord talking about when Christ is returning at this point, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. So we're at the end of the tribulation period. Somehow a miraculous gathering. All the nations around the world are going to send their armies. They're going to come to Jerusalem. <laughs> you say, if, <clears throat> if the United States of America still exists at that time, we'll be there. Not me, but their soldiers will be. What does he say will happen? The city will be taken, houses rifled, women rationed, ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. What is this telling us? The Armageddon battle is not a single battle. It is a, a, it's a long process that's going to take place at the end. How long? It doesn't tell us. Jesus returns to finish the job. The battle's going to be taking place. All these other things are going to be going on. And then Jesus himself is going to descend. And here it is, verse 3. Then the Lord, Jesus, will go forth and fight against those nations. Wait a minute. Zechariah 14, 2. All nations shall be gathered together. Zechariah 14, 3. Jesus is coming down. He descends. And he goes to fight against those nations. Where? At Armageddon. As he fights in the day of battle. Here's how it's going to take place. We've gone through this many times. And in that day, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the one day when Jesus returns, in that day, his feet, Jesus' feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. All right, we showed you this picture this morning. I'm standing on the Mount of Olives, looking down into the Kidron Valley, and you go up a little bit, and you're on the Temple Mount. That's the way it looks today. Folks, that's not the way it's going to look when this is taking place. You say, what's the difference? The Dome of the Rock will not be sitting on the Temple Mount at that time. What will be sitting on that Temple Mount? The Third Temple. All right, how do we know the Third Temple is going to be there? Daniel 9, 27. Daniel 9, 27 makes it very clear when the peace treaty happens with Israel, guess what the first thing the Jews are going to do? They're going to run up on there somehow, and I, I don't know how it's going to happen. That Dome of the Rock's got to come down. The third temple has to be put in place. Daniel 9, 27 makes it very clear there's going to be a third temple there. You say, how do you know that? Because remember what it said? 
Then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with the many of the Jewish people for one week, seven years. But in the midst of the week, what's he going to do? He's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to end. You cannot have a sacrifice and oblation without a temple. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 says the same thing. In the middle of the tribulation period, the abomination of desolation will take place. In other words, the third temple will be defiled. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul said the same thing. The abomination of desolation will take place in the third temple. It's coming. All right? So bottom line, there'll be a third temple up there. So according to Zechariah, what's going to happen? Jesus Christ is going to come down right about where you see that red arrow. He's coming back in the, from the heavenlies with all his what? All his, all his army, all his what? Saints. There we go. I'm pushing on purpose. All right, so Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 to 21 says that Jesus Christ descends on a white horse. And all his saints will be following with him in white robes, riding on what? White Horses, Revelation 19, 11 to 21. Here comes Jesus. He's coming down. According to uh, uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. That Mount of Olives will split in two. You say, does that match up? Remember when we talked about several weeks ago, Acts chapter 1 and verse 12? Jesus, if you recall, is standing on the Mount of Olives. He's getting ready to be brought up to heaven. If you look at that little pinnacle next to the red arrow, that is known as the Mount of Ascension. That is where Jesus ascended from. Jesus is telling them right before he leaves in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 to 12, he's saying this, and you can read it later. i got to quote it because of time. He's standing there and he's saying, listen, I want you to go, go out there. I want you to uh, go to uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Next thing you know, they're watching Jesus ascend up to heaven. The angels are there and the angels say to, uh, to the disciples and to the people standing there, why is standing here gazing up into heaven? Behold, this Jesus shall so come in like manner as you saw him leave. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, written 500 years before Luke gave his rendition in Acts chapter 1, said the exact same thing. Jesus is going to descend on that Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. All right, so then what happens? This we're going to talk about more next, uh, next week. I'm going to talk about Petra. And we'll explain just a teeny bit today, but uh, we're going to spend a whole message on Petra. i got a ton of pictures that I want to show you. It'll be a, a good time next Sunday night. Then the woman, in Revelation chapter 12, speaking of Israel, fled into the wilderness. All right, so what are we talking about here? At the midpoint of the tribulation, God is going to be taking the Jewish people, one-third of them, and will be protecting them in a place known as in the wilderness, which we strongly believe is Petra. I'll give you the argument next week where she, speaking of Israel, has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. That's the last half of the tribulation period. Remember, prophetic years have 360 days. 360 times 3.5, 1,260 days. So God is going to be protecting one-third of the Jewish people. You say, wait a minute, I don't read one-third of the people. Where did you get that from? Zechariah chapter 13 verses 8 and 9 tells us two-thirds of the Jewish people will be destroyed and one-third will be saved and brought through the fire. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. All right? So we have this, one, this remnant of the Jewish people, one-third of them are in the wilderness protected, which again uh, we'll show you I strongly believe is Petra and we'll go through that next week. All right, next passage. Now, when the dragon, who's the dragon, folks, if you've been with us, who's the dragon talking about? Devil, who else? So we're another synonymous name, the devil, who else? Satan, all right? So we're talking about the, the dragon or Satan. When he saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman or Israel who gave birth to the male child, speaking of Jesus. But the woman or Israel was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for what? A time, times, 
and half a time from the presence of the serpent or Satan. All right, so we've got one passage that said 1260 days, the Jewish people will be taken care of, three and a half years. Here's another passage, time, times, and half a time. Now again, if you've been with us, you already know what that means. From prophetic lingo, time is one year, times is two years, and half a time is half a year. Time one year, times two years, half a time. So we have three and a half years of which those Jewish remnant will be protected. All right, moving on to the next piece. Now we're coming to the literal battle of Armageddon from Revelation 14. Remember, we start in Joel chapter 3, and all these things are going to fit together like hand and glove. Revelation 14, verse 19. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth. Same thing Joel said back in uh, 500 years before. It's, oh, well, 500 years, nothing. Joel wrote his 900 years before the apostle John is writing this in Revelation. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Armageddon, folks. And... Very good. And <laughs> the wine press was trampled outside the city, catch this now, and blood, not grape juice, blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. What is God saying? When Jesus Christ comes down, splits the Mount of Olives in two, all these nations are going to be gathered in Armageddon. There they are in the valley of Armageddon. And Jesus is going to, if you will, and again, I excuse the grossness of it, it's going to be nothing but blood. Totally wiped out. It's very interesting, and this will bring up again next week, that we're talking about approximately 200 miles. Why is that significant? The significance of this concept, it actually comes out to 176 miles. From Armageddon or Megiddo to Petra, Jordan happens to be 176 miles. Just a thought. We'll pick up on that next week. Revelation 16. And they gathered them together. We're talking about the, the heathen nations coming uh, out to Armageddon. And they gathered them together to a place called in Hebrew, and here's the only time the word is used in the scriptures, Armageddon. Then the seventh angel sound, poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. All right, so here's where we're going. So if you look on our, our little map, you'll see uh, where it says Armageddon. You'll see kind of that blast zone. We're looking at uh, the central part of Israel where all this is coming down. All the nations surrounding Israel will be coming together to the battle of Armageddon. Joel 800 B.C. is saying this day is going to come. John the Revelator is telling us in 90 AD, this day is going to come. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24 and approximately 30 AD was saying, this day is going to come. This is a, the ruins of Megiddo. It's, it's not a real, uh, if you will, it's not a 3D picture. But if you look at that, that is Megiddo. This is where all the action is going to start taking place. Believe it or not, that is the top of the archaeological ruins of Megiddo. If you keep going down, and it's a, a very tall uh, mound, if you will, there are 26 different civilizations buried at that spot. I've been there multiple times. It's extremely interesting. The archaeology uh, uh, digs and so far forth are just phenomenal, but that's the central point. That's Megiddo. Now we're going to go to the edge of Megiddo on that mound, and here's the next slide. That is, and we're basically on the edge of Megiddo, if you will, looking out to the valley of Armageddon. Folks, that's it, black and living color. It exists. It is there. All right? When Jesus Christ returns, this valley is going to be full of anti-God people. He is going to thrust in his sickle. He is going to put them in the winepress of his wrath 
boom. Not a pretty picture. But there it is. You're looking at it. So, and we'll push a little bit more on this next week. So what do we have? If you look on the map, Megiddo up towards, if you will, uh, the top, more towards the top of Israel. The Kidron Valley. What is the Kidron Valley? Remember, you have the Temple Mount, the Mount of Olives. The valley in between is known as the Kidron Valley, also known as the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Hmm. Then we go down south to Edom. Right where Petra is. All right. Keep that in mind. Again, I'm not going to expand on that tonight. That'll be for next week. About 176 miles as the crows fly, so to speak, from Megiddo down to Edom. We're going to take a good look at what Edom is next week. By the way, is Edom a good godly place? Nope. <laughs> Revelation 16, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was great earthquakes, such a mighty and great earthquake has not occurred since men were on earth. Now the great city, speaking of Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Great Babylon was remembered for God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hail stone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. What are we seeing here? So we go from Revelation 16, 16, we're at the end stage of Armageddon. Armageddon is taking place. This tremendous catastrophic hailstorm is taking place. People are dying by the tens of thousands. It is the final battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19, scooting ahead. And I saw the beast. Who is the beast, folks? Who is the beast? Try again. Antichrist. Okay. Let's go through the Satanic Trinity. Revelation 13. Three pieces of, three members of the Satanic Trinity. Let's start with the godly Trinity. God the Father, God the, God the, okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay. And uh, in fact, it's in the Constitution and uh, Union Grove Baptist Church where it says they have to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Coming out of uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Now, what does Satan want to do? He always wants to mimic what God's doing. All right, so who mimics God the Father? That would be Satan, okay? Who mimics, if you will, God the Son or the person also known as the beast is the Antichrist. All right, so the Antichrist is known as the beast. And there's a second beast spoken about in Revelation 13. And that second beast is the what prophet? False prophet. Very good. All right, so we got about a 95. I think you can all get aged tonight. We're close. Okay, a couple points off, but pretty close. So I saw the beast of the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and their armies. What are they doing? They're gathered together to make war against him, capital H is what it should be, who sat on the horse and against his army. Every time I go to this passage, I shouldn't say this, but I, don't, I can't help it. I've seen too many Clint Eastwood movies. Every man needs to know his limitations. Folks, this is exactly what's taking place here. They think they're going to be God. I mean, literally, I read this passage and it's like, how can you be that crazed out of your mind to think that you can actually take God on? But they do. And that's what it's saying. They gather together to make war against him. Jesus, who's sitting on the horse? Jesus is sitting on the horse. They're in the valley of Armageddon. They're going to make war against him. And Jesus descend and done. Over. So let's go to Revelation 19. We'll close. I don't believe this. I think we're actually going to finish by 7. Something will happen. I'll mess it up. Revelation 19, let's look at it real quick. Verse 11. All right. So let's go through it. This is the actual descent of Jesus Christ at his second coming, not the rapture. Rapture happened seven years early when, we, when uh, the Christians were taken out. All right, here it is again. 
Now, I saw John the Apostle saying, I saw heaven open, behold, a what? A white horse. And he, Jesus, who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, look in the mirror, if you've trusted Christ, white and clean, found him on white horses. Now out of his mouth, here's the battle of Armageddon. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat. Guess what they're eating, folks? Everybody in that wine press. The kings, all their armies. It's feast time for the birds. Gross as all get out, but true. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and flesh of the people, free and slave, both small and great. Then I saw the beast, and here's what we all just read. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse with him, the who, here it is, false prophet documented, and work, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived who had, worship, or had received the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, and those who worship his image. These two, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive in a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Folks, that is another way of saying hell. Plain and simple. The rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, Jesus, and all the birds would fill with their flesh. So what happens? Jesus descends. The saints are following with him. He comes down. He crushes, if you will, the Mount of Owls. He goes out the battle of Armageddon. The sharp sword from his mouth, which is his word. He says something to the effect that causes all those armies to be wiped out and die and to be, if you read Zechariah 14, it talks about their bodies basically wither, the blood comes out of them, and in uh, Revelation chapter 14, the last verse, it tells us the blood rises up to the height of the horse's bridle. Absolute devastation. What happens to Satan? We'll read that in close. Verse chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And here it is. He laid hold of the dragon. Who's the dragon? That serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for 1,000 years. Folks, here's what's coming. We live in what's called the age of grace. We're waiting for the greatest event ever to happen on this earth with Jesus Christ coming in the air to receive his believers in Jesus Christ, home to be with him. Immediately after that, this world goes into chaos for seven years. There will be many folks saved during that time. 144,000 young male Jewish evangelists, according to Revelation 7 and 11, will be out preaching the gospel along with two witnesses. Many folks will come to Christ. But folks, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great when the rapture happens if your loved ones came along? it happens in our lifetime. Wouldn't it be great that, uh, uh, to know that your uncles, your aunts, your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren, your grandparents, your loved ones, the people you work with and care about, wouldn't it be great to know that they're all coming up to us with us together? Folks, that's what this is all about. It's about love for people. This is the church that God's love is building. Folks, if we love people like we say we do, and I believe you do, because I'm watching it happen right here, Specifically Sunday morning, it's happening. I'm watching as people are coming. I'm watching as you folks love people. And folks, if we keep this up, that's what God wants us to do. That, that's it, folks. It's just great commission and simplicity. Let's keep at it. If you're here tonight or you're watching tonight and you've never trusted Christ, do you realize you're a sinner? Say, we all know that. We've all done wrong. Do you understand? Because we sinned, if we got what we deserved, every single one of us would have to go in an awful place called hell. We talked about it a little bit tonight. Awful place, lake that burns with fire and brimstone forever. No, no break, no, no, no stop of the suffering. But Jesus, God's son, said, listen, I love you folks. I love you folks. I love you. And I came down from heaven, went to a cross. I died for your sins. Three days later, I rose from the dead because 
I proved that I was God, meaning Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, if you want to go to heaven when you die, you need to trust me. Stop trusting yourself. Understand you can't earn your way to heaven. You've got to trust me. Speaking of Jesus, have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? For God so loved the world, that's each one of us, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anybody, anybody, you say, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. Anybody, I'm so good I don't need to get saved. Anybody. Nobody's too good, <laughs> if you will. There's nobody good. There's nobody so bad that God can't save you. You say, you don't know what I've done. Don't need to know. God said he loves you despite what you've done. Isn't that wonderful? God loves you just the way you are. And he wants to change you. You say, really? He does. You say, you mean if I give my life to Jesus, my life can be changed for the better? Absolutely. I'm not going to say it's going to be uh, life will treat you great. I'm not going to say you'll never have problems. I'm not going to say you never go through tough times. But I'm saying that you'll have somebody that will walk along those tough times with you. Jesus loves you, folks. Have you ever given your life to him? Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that as we've gone through very quickly some of the major prophetic events yet to come, that, Lord, you'd excite us about these things. Lord, this isn't meant just for, for us to look at and say, wow, that's cool, it's going to happen someday. It's to motivate us to get out there and tell folks about Christ before that rapture happens, to avoid all these horrific things that will one day be taking place right here on this messed up earth. So, Father, I pray that as uh, every single one of us here tonight that's watching or listening or sitting here tonight that's trusted Jesus Christ, Father, would you please help us to tell others the greatest news ever given a man this week, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Help us to be about your business, telling folks the gospel, inviting them to church, doing the right thing, living a life that's pleasing to you this week. Finally, if you're watching or here this evening and you never trusted Christ, I'm inviting you to invite him into your life this very moment. We just gave the gospel. We're sinners. We don't deserve heaven, but Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose again to prove he was God. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can only receive his free gift. How do you do that? Just tell him right now. Would you say something simple like this to the Lord in your own words? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But tonight I understand that Jesus Christ paid the entire debt for my sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior this very moment. Thank you for saving me, dear Lord, and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, we commit this to you. Seal decisions tonight. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.